Hail, hail, the Celtics are here, and guys, we are here for the latest edition of the flagship podcast, coming out of a huge derby win, Celtic beating the baddies by three goals to two at the weekend, and we've got a very special guest joining us for the podcast this week, we've got Sky Sports News' own Anthony Joseph. Anthony, thanks a lot for joining us, mate. Thanks for having me on, Quinny, it's, it's a real pleasure to be on, and especially after a very happy weekend at the weekend. Yeah, I think we're all smiling from ear to ear. I, I went to the game, Anthony, myself, and I was expecting it to be, you, you know, I, I think we're all quite happy with coming away with the win. And ultimately, the goals we scored were all really exciting, really good quality play from us. But it wasn't maybe quite as one-way traffic as I would have maybe hoped and expected. What about you? How did you feel about the game? Yeah, I, I think I was, as a fan, I was quite confident going into it. And I don't like being confident before these games. But the last time I was, I felt really confident was the game in September and we won 4-0. So I was actually expecting something similar. I thought they might, with no fans, no away fans and everything like that, uh, I thought it might be a, a 3-0 or, or or perhaps even more. But um, no, I mean, credit to Rangers. They they did come very organised and they came to play. They came to... they. They almost had nothing to lose, really, did they? I, I think even before the game, uh, Celtic were never going to drop 10 points. Yes, it was nine, but the goal difference is huge. So it's, it's the Celtic were not going to drop 10 more points than Rangers between now and the end of the season. So Rangers just had to go out there and they they the pressure wasn't really on them. So they were able to, to come out and play the, and impose their game plan without the pressure. And, and knowing there was no away fans, they Celt, the, the pressure was all on Celtic. They they had to go out and put on a show for the fans. It was sixty thousand Celtic fans there, so uh, I, I was I was surprised at how it how it panned out. But also I can see I can see the way it was the way it ended it developed. Uh, Beal does have this Rangers team far more organised. It does seem. Um, and yeah, it was tight, but Celtic just found a way, and they always do find a way. And this season has just been, a, a, or even at work, I've been asked to, <laughs> I was asked to pick out like the key games this season. It's not the same, and I was asked to do this last season as well. And last season, there was like last minute winners, there was um, some real like hard fought victories. And I guess apart from that Hearts away game. There's not really been that this season. It's been like maybe the four the four nil against Rangers, the nine nil against Dundee United, the one nil at Aberdeen, that kind of thing. Those were the games I was picking out. But it's been fairly routine. Celtic have been on top for pretty much all this season. So um with a huge gap. So I, I just feel like there's I don't know, there's a there's a difference. There is still a, a big gap between the two teams, but uh Rangers definitely look a lot more organised, and they and they showed that. But like I keep saying, Celtic still won the game, and that that was the main thing. That's all they had to do, and that and and that was it. They're 12, 12 points clear, basically thirteen. Yeah, I I was quite impressed with how you know or I wouldn't say I don't know if impressed is maybe the word. Surprise might be the one, but like you say, we, we weren't expecting it to be a wee bit more emphatic. We did have that extra level of confidence coming into the game, and I definitely agree that I'm I've actually just got the three games we've played against Rangers in the league in front of me from like the starting elevens and the Rangers team. 
that we've that we've played across the year has changed quite a bit. Obviously, there's been two managers um, in place, but I remember the first game at Celtic Park, and I, w- I was in a, I was at the game for that as well. And that's the one, if you remember, where Turnbull scores the goal from the you know collecting the loose ball from the goalkeeper kind of thing, and it was as if we were just taking the Mickey out of them at that point. It was like when that goal went in. I don't think anyone cheered. I think the whole stadium laughed, if you know what I mean. It was one of those ones um, where it was like rubbing salt into the wind. And, you know, i seen on that day guys like Tillman, and I'm just looking at the squad now, Sands, Barisic, Kent, Cholak. i seen a lot of those guys on that day really shrink under the atmosphere. And, you know, as, yeah, um, surprised or credit due or whatever, but... The Rangers players that showed up at the weekend, I don't really think any of them really like wilted under it um, as much. It feel maybe having no fans gave them a wee bit of that, you know, they, they kind of knew a wee bit more that they were going to be absolutely against the stadium, you know, and you've just yeah. got to ex- uh, expect a worst case scenario. But uh, credit where it's due from us as well, you know, like the goals we scored were not the only chances we created in the game, you know, and all the subs were pretty effective without doing much. But again, uh, Anthony, see, as I cycle through these last three Derby matches in the league. Like last time we played James Forrest, we lost Greg Taylor after 20 minutes. It was Alistair Johnson's debut. The time before that, um, we've started with uh, Juranovic. It was actually quite a strong team in the first one where Turnbull gets the goal from the bench, like I mentioned. Um, so it's point being for the game at the weekend, no Hitate, no Abada, you know, two big players for us in general, whether it be from the bench or for the start. So is it a little bit of, I think that Rangers team were a bit better but it's also still the fact that we weren't uh, at 100% capacity as well, maybe. Yeah, and I think it shows the difference between the two squads as well. Celtic's strength and depth is crazy at the moment. I think Celtic have a really <laughs> strong squad. Like, even the likes of Haksabanovic on the bench, you think Haksabanovic has shown he's a quality player when he comes on and, and the, the few games he's started. Um, Iwata looks, looks like a real find as well. Um, and, and he didn't even start. It was Moy who started and uh, didn't have didn't have the best of games, but there was a few Celtic players who didn't have the best of games. But I think the difference between the two sides is Celtic have that extra quality and that extra strength and depth, but there's also the mentality side of it. So yes, I think Rangers perhaps were able to showcase more about what kind of, more of their football because the pressure was off them. But Celtic, who I felt I felt Celtic were off the boil um, in large parts of that game. There was a lot of slack passing. There was a lot of um, players caught out of position at times as well in defence. Don't think Starfelt had a great game, but the mentality that Ange has instilled in this team is the reason that they go on to to win these games. And we talk about it all the time. It's it's become the catchphrase that they never stop. And you see that with the two the two goals in the second half. They're they picked up on loose balls. Those weren't chances until unless you actually do the running or you you make it a chance. They're going that extra yard to get in front or beat the uh, beat the man, beat Alan McGregor to the ball. D- doing the hard work it's so important and sometimes get so overlooked when Celtic win like four or five nil. But when they when they win one 0 or two 0 or up at Ross County, it's because they've done the hard work and it puts themselves in that position. And another great example, I think, of that, um, which shows the level that Celtic are, are operating in at the moment, was perhaps even the Champions League games. Celtic's performances in the Champions League games were pretty pretty good against top level opposition. 
I what they lacked was quality in front of goal in the whole Champions League campaign. But they did all that hard work. They created chance after chance after chance. The finishing was just so poor. They were missing sitters. It was actually sitters they were missing. They would not if if Celtic had another Champions League group with that, that same level of performance in all six of those games, they wouldn't finish with two points again. Because I, the, I, I just think by the law of averages, if, if you create those chances, if you do the hard work and constantly be aggressive and relentless as they as they are domestically and in Europe, the, the goals will eventually come. And at the moment, they are coming uh, domestically and, and hopefully that can continue on into next season as well. Yeah, I'm with you all the way on that, Anthony, because when you look at the bench, and particularly like, it's what I've started referring to as like the closers in the Celtic team, you know, the guys that came out to close the game. And that's not a defensive thing from us, it's actually yeah. an attacking thing, you know. But if you look at that set of closers that came on for the, the, the derby at the weekend, pre-Ange Postacoglu, that would be half of the starting team. All those guys would be starters. There's mm-hmm. no really too much of a, about it, you know. So the, the quality, as you say, it is insane and it, it is a big part of it for me. Um, we've got one of the notes for, for the podcast today, Anthony. Like, where was the game won and lost? And for me, like, and maybe Rangers fans are going to, uh, if any of them are there listen to this, maybe spit their cereal out when they hear this. But for me, it was the referee that made the game as tight as it was. You know, like, being in attendance at the stadium, I couldn't believe when I left the game how much of a right they felt they had to be upset at the refereeing performance because me being at the match, Carter Vickers was booked after eight minutes. And in between minute 39 and 47, our full midfield got booked, McGregor, O'Reilly, and Moy. Um, so it's that is a real that cha- really changes the game state in terms of what those guys can do in the game, how they can influence the match. Moy had a really poor first half, and I think then quickly getting booked in the second half, that was just game over for him at that point, you know. Um, but for me, I think that also pro- probably helped in terms of any of those because for me, when I was at the game. Any 50-50, throw-in, corner, goal-kick, decision, we thingy-free kick. I don't think we got any of them on the day, you know. And it really does paint back into the mentality that the, even though we've got the stadium on side and we're at home and we're running high on the league and whatever, but even in, in these situations in the derby, when all the wee niggly ones go against you, your main centre-back is booked after eight minutes. And I don't think if you asked anyone, what did they do? No one would really be able to remember. What if it wasn't a big cruncher or... I set the tempo foul early in a Darley match. It wasn't anything like that, you know. It was um, so for for me. I think that played a big part in how the game panned out. But all the headlines. I love Kyogo. Kyogo's my man this season, yeah. right? But for me, the headlines, the difference maker was Jota. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and well, he he got the winner in the end, didn't he? With that um, reading that bad pass back and getting onto it getting onto it before Alan McGregor could get to it. But even even then, once he takes it past McGregor, he's got he's got such a tight angle to quick at, at the speed he's going at as well to quickly get his left foot round that and, and direct it into the bottom corner. So towards goal. So yeah, he Jota was it was set up for him. I mean even Sky's coverage of it was all about uh, Ellie Dixon and and Ben's song uh Poor Amelie Dixon was was there at the stadium as well, so uh, it was set up for him to be the hero. And yeah, he, he had a good game, and um, he he turns up in these big games. He had a he had a really good game in the four nil um, victory as well. So yeah, J- Jota is just one of those talents that Celtic are very lucky to have, but also have done extremely wise business in recruiting, as they have done for for a lot of these squads. 
Um, I don't really like to talk too much about refereeing because I just think, in general, refereeing is poor across the board in Scotland. <laughs> so I, don't, I, I mean, yeah. I, and I think that's always going to happen when you get when you've got the Scottish Premiership is a professional league. It's in UEFA's top ten leagues, going by the coefficient, and yet we've got part-time referees. I just don't understand why that is allowed. You've got part-time referees refereeing a professional game, so I, I think that is the bigger issue of refereeing in Scotland. And I'm not saying that suddenly make them professional and they're going to be making amazing decisions left, right, and look what's happening in England right now, uh, for example. Uh, but it helps. It helps. I mean, anyone in any walk of life will realise that if you're doing two jobs, you can't... I mean, no, people do do two jobs, but if you can focus on one job, you can do it much better. If you're constantly training and learning and and sort of going to training in a refereeing capacity like they do in England, that that will help. But our, our referees are lawyers, teachers. They've got day jobs and they have to do the extra stuff themselves um, after their work. So I think that is the key issue. There's, I don't believe in, in like there's agendas or conspiracy, in conspiracy theories or anything like that. I just think it's poor across the board. And the, the biggest issue for me is that they're part-time. And uh, in, ter in terms of the Morelos goal that Rangers are, are really upset about and Rangers fans keep going on about I mean I can see why it was given because there was a push so by the rules the referee has a right to give it I, I do think it was extremely soft and I, and I do think if that was up at the other end and it was chopped off for a Celtic goal I think we'd all be very annoyed as well so I mean I think both sides are right or both sides of the argument are right it was a foul but it's very rarely given like that. But in in the in the rules, a referee can give it. So uh, they're not. And VAR isn't going to overrule it when when the referee obvious. hasn't made a clear and obvious error, which they didn't believe he did. So yeah, um, no, I feel the way on that. It's very level-headed, Anthony. And like I'm thinking back, like I've got a I've got a UEFA license. I did coaching for a few years, and that was a part-time kind of thing. And that, as you're talking, I'm thinking, yeah, actually. Could probably tie in pretty well the dips in my coaching career versus when you're overwhelmed outside of that um kind of thing so it's never it's not really and you, you hear the part-time thing all the time but i've never really given it much thought beyond that uh, until now so it's, it's a pretty good point you make I'm, I'm kind of with you on there particularly with the, like, the var element when there's a lot of technology and a lot of um almost logistics involved you know if you are like having to get to grips with that's probably like something that's quite intensive like the guys that are down south in England that you'll be closer to as well as the guys in the top five leagues in the world like they undoubtedly will be playing with those toys and getting to know those systems every day of their working life because they're professional as you say you know so yeah it doesn't guarantee um you know a wild difference but it definitely increases your chances of a better standard for sure I'm with you yeah uh I think it's just it is quite obvious, just from a almost like a human level, isn't it? That if if you have your day job and you are working towards that, you're analysing your own performances throughout the day, like referees do, they get their rest days and everything like that. Like footballers, referees in the top five leagues are treated like or go go about their business like anyone else that plays the game. So. I, I, I just feel like 
it really holds Scot Scottish football back that it's a professional game with part-time referees. So um, I'm not sure how quickly that's going to change. It probably is to do with money. So, but uh, there's, I, I think it is something that would go a long way to helping solve the problem and increase the quality of refereeing and probably also increase the breadth of talent that is probably out there that people just, because it's not a full-time job, wouldn't go into. Yeah, agreed. Because again, like, yeah, the people that go into it now, like, yeah, they have, you know, they have to be able to afford to do both. You know, it's mm -hmm. not something people could undertake as something they wanted to go after, you know. Um, ideally, that's what you're after, somebody would give their all to it. And um, yeah, so I, I'm with you all the way on that. Um, in terms of like, from the match itself, like I said, that was just, the, uh, in terms of the referee, and that was my main kind of thing about it. I just couldn't believe how, how crazy Rangers fans were taking it in terms of like they felt absolutely robbed on all levels. See, because I was at the game and I was at the game with people that aren't, you know, uh, biased in this uh, in this match, and they were saying that referee gave everything uh, to to the blue team all day. You know, so it's just a, think, it was a, a, an odd one for me. I think Rangers seem to be going through the stages of grief at the moment. <laughs> I, I, tweet, I tweeted uh, something after the game just about how like. Celtic were off the boil. Rangers put everything into that. They played well and they still lost. And I wasn't trying to take the mick out of Rangers. I wasn't saying, I was just saying that can damage mentality big time. When you put everything into something and you feel like you are level with these guys who are going on to be champions and there's a 12 point gap, there's to then, and having lost the final just, like, just over a month ago as well. That can damage mentality big time. So it'll be interesting to see how they come up. Or it can it could it could turn the other way. They could feel fired up for the semi-final and and give that a real contest, which is which is also a possibility. But I think that really hurt them that uh, losing losing that game because they put everything into that and they did actually play well. And I mean that they're going through this sort sort of publicly through their fans their fan media and also as the club in terms of writing to the sfa um claiming handballs that weren't handballs um I th with players tweeting sorry putting on instagram that celtic didn't win the game rangers lost it i mean what we're seeing is denial and anger stage at the moment um, <laughs> um at some point i mean if celtic if celtic go on and beat them in the semi-final like enough to get to the acceptance stage to then build for next season. Um, uh, I look forward to seeing that. Yeah, we called it. <laughs> we probably will because like I'm starting to hear like um, from from what you're saying there a bit a bit Cantwell as well. Like uh, my favorite part about the whole social when you said the uh, the stages of grief, the first thing that popped into my mind was uh, the Paddy Power fan denial. I don't know if you've seen the one they done oh, after yeah. the the derby. It was no, all time. Oh, it's an old timer. You need to catch it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I usually do. They, they get the letter into the SFA and everything. It's it's absolutely brilliant. Mm -hmm. But um, but yeah, so like I, I'm quite with you on that, and I do think that the mentality from from our team is only going to you know, like guys were coming into this game like O'Reilly, um, maybe not got the full like ah, oh, is O'Reilly off? It should he be starting this game? Um, and then I know I know Starfelt's maybe had a mixed opinion throughout the season as his dies in Maeda. So uh, I did feel like even for, for our guys continually coming through this, and that's kind of the reason I brought the point up with the bookings we carried, because getting into the halfway through the game and your midfield and your main centre-back are like handcuffed in that sense, you know, 
it puts a lot of pressure on the, these other guys in the team. Alistair Johnson very firmly uh, lifted himself to the top, you know, cream mm -hmm. rises to the top kind of thing uh, in that match. And that was there for all to see. But I was quite impressed with O'Reilly in the game. I don't think he gave, I don't think he gave anything away. I don't think he was second to anything. And I think he um, performed pretty well. So I do feel that for everything that's amazing at Celtic, like all these victories for us, like you mentioned earlier, Anthony, when you go back to the Champions League campaign, perhaps, and like some of the opportunities we missed, that would have really hurt our mentality and confidence for a while. And now, mm -hmm. not only, I would say, is that repaired, but it's probably like enhancing and growing at this stage. So um, I can imagine us rocking into the semi-final with, you know, Itate back in the team, more than likely, Abada available for selection, which is always going to just improve our chances through 90 minutes or even beyond that, because it will be a semi-final, mm -hmm. you know. And... Um, potentially like yeah if we put them into the acceptance phase in the semi-final what phase do we go into after that you know where it is like right because we were expecting a scudding at the weekend we were expecting to go out and run them and maybe the absence of a tate and a wee bit of that firepower from the bench and abada took a bit of the edge off the game but if we get that result in the semi-final and we finish this season with you know the, the success that we're likely to get you know the the, the you know where does that put us cloud nine is definitely what it feels like here yeah and Celtic are, this season are on course to break all sorts of records domestically. And a treble would just top it off. I know if they win the semi-final, they've got to win the final as well. But you you back Celtic to do that the way they're going domestically. And it's it was hard to picture when Ange was standing at Celtic Park on the last day of the season, last season, and saying... We're come, I mean, everyone loved it when he says yeah. um, we're going to come back bigger, stronger because we never stop next season. And everyone loved that. Everyone's having a good time. The league trophy's been lifted at Celtic Park. But it's happened. It's Well, it's happening. And that's, yeah. and that's uh, great. And it's, it's great to see. And we always wondered perhaps where Celtic were sitting in, in Europe. I think the performances suggested that there's there's signs of progress and there's there is despite only taking two points from the group i think the performances showed that this celtic team can compete and it can play the way they want to play in europe europa league might have been a better starting point for celtic this season but um to see what level they were really at but uh they they learned a harsh lesson and i just hope that Anders is still there. I think he'll want another crack at the, the Champions League. And that'll, that's, uh, in terms of the fans, we'll be on cloud nine. But I really think Anders will be just, just be like, well, right, we've won the treble. We need to go and make a mark on the Champions League next season. That's our aim. We're obviously, winning, winning the league again. But that really needs to be the focus um, next season to really put Celtic back in amongst that you that kind of um european level and where we belong of, kind of, yeah where, where, where the club belongs in terms of its stature of course it, it does but in terms of its playing playing style and in terms of the quality it's been missing for years but th th this this team if they can stay together and if they can add some more quality in the summer you you've, i think there's a lot to be hopeful for one of the conversations that I see running around all across social media now is Kyogo. Is he the best since Larson? Is he better even than Dembele or Edward? You know, where does he rank? And like the new millennium Celtic heroes that we've had. Um, and for me, like uh, Kyogo, like I think he is like on the pitch. Like he's the closest thing I've seen 
in terms of like what he does to the fans, what he does to the game. Um, since we've since we've seen Henrik, you know, for me, um, did you do you weigh in on any of that, Anthony? How do you feel about the the, the Celtic strikers we've had over the last? 20? Yeah, it, it just depends how you judge a striker. Do you just judge them purely on goals? Do you judge them on their overall ability? But in t- yeah, I guess in terms of style, um, Larson probably a bit better in the air than Kyogo. But in terms of their playing style on the ground and movement and runs and and link-up play they are quite similar in that sense i don't think he's there yet but he's heading that way i think you've got to do before you can we can make bold statements like he's the best striker since larson or um i think we've got to see that over a number of seasons like two or three seasons at least and kyogo missed quite a lot last season as well but i know and we all know strikers get judged on goals in particular because in the pub or on podcasts and things like that, we can talk about the nuances. We can talk about, oh, his movement was better than Edwards his, or Dembele's, that kind of thing. But um, goals is the main thing. And I did have a look at this, actually, and um, he's averaging around 0.65 goals per game. And in context, Hooper was 0.59, Dembele was 0.54, McDonald 0.5 and Edward 0.49 and then if you want to add Griffiths in there he's 0.47 so he is averaging better than all of those um those strikers that in the modern era we've been looking to try and replicate what Larson has been doing and that that's all that's all less than Larson's 0.81 goals per game over seven years averaging 0.81 goals per game that's incredible that is frightening, and, isn't it? And but the reason I say it needs to be a prolonged period is because the likes of Robbie Keane is better than Larson, zero point eight four, and he had a great, great six months at Celtic. And perhaps if he did stay, he would be up there as well. I think Edward, um, kind of uh, the season before it got the season it got suspended, the league got suspended for COVID. He was in incredible form that season. Celtic yep. finished top of the Europa League group, beating Lazio home and away. That he was, he was brilliant, um, and I think had had the season not been suspended and had the next season not been just in front of no fans at all, it might things might have been different for him, and he might have even found a better club than Crystal Palace in the Premier League. Um, but yeah, it's just the way it goes. I think Edward was the closest so far that we've had to coming to uh, Henrik Larsson. Um a bit Kyogo is he's got he's got he's got to do it for a bit longer um but he's definitely heading that way and I think in terms of style like I was saying apart from maybe aerial ability definitely with the ball at his feet and the, the movement and his link up play it is very similar to to Larson and um let's let's just hope he he stays not just for not just for Celtic, but just to have that talent in Scotch. I think it's criminal that he is not in the Japanese squad though, and he hasn't been picked for the last year. I think I can't I couldn't believe that he wasn't at the World Cup, and I can't believe he's not been picked for the latest internationals as well, and Hitate too. But I'm sure we'll get onto that. But Kyogo, you you just have him, even if you you don't even if you're the Japanese manager and you don't see him as your best striker, and I can't possibly pretend that I know everything about the Japanese squad. Um even though I think there's probably five players that I would recommend to, to be in that squad. Um, 
and I can see why Maida's in there because we offer something completely different. But I just don't see how you can leave out Kyogo because he'll score goals. He'll come on even if you put him on the last 20 minutes. He's someone who's averaging 0.65 goals per game. And you saw even in the Europa League last year he was scoring. So even if the Japanese manager, is, who has made a few comments about the standard of the Scottish League, I think he's shown enough um, in Europe already that he should be in these squads. Um, but that's not up to us. Um, if he's scoring goals for Celtic as Celtic fans, that's all you can ask for. And um, But you do wonder whether for the likes of Hitate and Kyogo, if they're playing so well for Celtic, doing what they need to do here, and they're not getting picked for their country, does it make them think, well, I'm, I need to move somewhere where I'm going to get picked from a country. I need to go to the Bundesliga. I need to go to Serie A or a, even lower-end Premier League, mid or mid-table Premier League, just so I can be in a league where my where my national team manager rates it so I get picked from a country. That's, that's I think, is the fear of them doing so well here and not getting picked for the job. It's great to say, oh, well, they're not doing the travelling. It keeps them focused on Celtic and that. But as a player... And, and these guys do seem very patriotic. They want to be picked for their country. So uh, them missing out on World Cup would have been a huge blow. And Ange said it was. Ange did say it was a blow for them both. So, But they'll, they just need to knuckle down. Um, uh, but you do wonder what, how long can they continue to not be picked for the, Jap- the Japanese squad before they think, well, actually, I'm, I'm going to need to move there. And especially Kyogo, who's 28. So... Um, don't want to put a downer on him, his form being so good, but uh, it does in the back of my mind. It, it makes me think that anyway. Yeah, and I, I you know, I, I'm maybe a wee bit closer to the Japanese team in terms of some of the players that are in there and all the rest of it. But for me, Kyogo is like, yeah, I, I would agree. He's, he's the best centre forward that they could call upon. You know, and there are some guys that knock about the Bundesliga. Obviously, Matoma's doing great. He's obviously not a striker. Um, they do have good quality in there, but. Yeah, like I, I'm totally with you on, on that respect. He definitely needs to do it in terms of for us and, and the Larson stuff or whatever. Definitely on a European, it's probably one of the things that Edward and Dembele have got firmly locked in in their Celtic history is mm-hmm. they impacted you, the European stage, you know, to, to an extent. Um, and Kyogo will probably be looking to do that because we're talking about missing chances in the Champions League. It was really Kyogo that was missing them, you know. So, yeah. um, is it maybe the Scottish chances or maybe the Japanese manager maybe looks at the Champions League games and thinks, well, how can I use you in a World Cup when you can't do it in a Champions League? Maybe, maybe that was part of it. Who knows? Um, I, I, I don't worry too much about Kyogo not getting selected and maybe getting itchy feet to move away. I would worry more for Hitate in that sense, but I think Hitate, like he's the same age as Matoma and there's a lot of guys in that Japanese squad that are in the same class, if you like, you know, same age range, and they're all getting picked, and they're all in top five leagues in Europe, etc. So I would see Atate maybe more being uh, tempted, or maybe a bit more um, uh, in a rush, maybe to, to achieve that, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, so I, I don't know, Kyogo. When I seen that wee documentary of of him seeing I'm not getting selected again, like it, it feels like he's just more kind of like the coach has decided that I could be playing anywhere. The coach would be, you know, it's the coach's decision because there's also guys in that Japanese team. I don't mind telling you that are in the Austrian Bundesliga and then the Bundesliga two in Germany and then like small teams in Portugal, not the big three, you know. So like the standards of Scottish football thing, I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's really the reason, you know. To be honest with you, maybe an easy one for him to use as a, as a throwaway comment or something. But 
for Kyogo, that's how I feel for Rio. I think it is maybe a danger, like you say, you know. Um, just to just to throw my kind of two cents against the Kyogo and Larson thing, like I think it is probably the closest thing we've had since then. I would put him ahead just on like what he does on the pitch. I would put him just ahead of Musa and Eddie personally, because I just think both of them were liable for going missing for a month or two here and there. And I don't really see that from Kyogo um, myself. So I just wanted to throw that in there. Um, but yeah. And I think as well, like talking about the international stage and all the rest of it, obviously we just sold Josip uh, Juranovic and Jackie Marcus in, in the summer there. And they're in, well, certainly for Josip Juranovic, his international uh, footprints are definitely what helped us get some sort of fee and kind of maybe move him on in a, a profitable situation. With Kyogo and with Hitati, but I don't know if um, we really need to rely on the international credentials to maybe boost a fee or anything, because again, maybe some clubs would look at that as a, a benefit that they're not going to do the travelling and whatever, and maybe the clubs for a selfish reason maybe see them as more appealing. But I would hope, um, yeah, I would definitely hope that we're going to see Kyogo in the, in the hoops for another three or four seasons at least and and maintain that that uh, goals per game that we've got. Yeah, and he seems to be loving it, doesn't he? I mean, just look at the end of every game that Celtic win, he leads the, uh, the sort of... Nintos chant at the end, doesn't he? Um, so yeah. I mean, that doesn't mean he's definitely here to stay, but I mean, like, even the way Ange talks about Kyogo, he does seem quite relaxed. And yeah, the way I, th- I think you're right, the way you've ex- um, explained the difference between Atate and Kyogo there. Um, he, if he very much is bought into the whole thing. Kyogo's definitely bought into the whole thing of, of Celtic and Celtic as a club. And I remember speaking about it on, I think it was it was on this podcast at the end of last season, um, just explaining the difference that the fans make to the whole Celtic experience and players we perhaps brought in um, in the COVID season, like Barkas and Ayeti and who were living in hotels and lockdowns uh, the rest of the world was in lockdown but they could still go to work and play football in front of nobody uh, yep. just the they wouldn't have got the celtic experience they're playing against they're going up to ross county going up to have no disrespect like other uh, other clubs in scotland but into empty grounds and and not getting the whole champions league europa league sort of sixty thousand fans adoring you shane duffy i think really perhaps might have had a different kind of spell had Shane Duffy been uh, in front of 60,000 Celtic fans absolutely adoring him that the island the current island captain was was uh, was in was at the heart of the Celtic defense um going into what could have been a 10 in a row season I think the whole dynamic of that season might have been different in general but I think the experience the new signings um have that had with it were brought in in that period compared to the new signings that are brought in now um and even last season it's just that's the whole part of Celtics like people don't players don't players like I call out perhaps outsiders who don't who aren't like uh, Scottish or Irish or don't have the, the the sort of Celtic upbringing um they they need that, I think, because the Scottish Premiership is not the sell. For example, players players don't go to, say, like Southampton or Crystal Palace to play for a club like Southampton or Crystal Palace. They go to play in the Premier League. True. For players coming to Celtic, they come to play for Celtic because it's the pool of the club. They don't come to play in the, 
in the Scottish Premiership. That's not their dream. Let's be honest about it. Um, they, they they come for the experience. People know that the fan base is one of the best in the world. It's the one, one of the most passionate. That's what they, they come for. They come for the, the Champions League experience and the whole culture of the club. And that's, I, I think I remember saying that if we ever want to make a pitch, I'm sure Ange does it so very well when he calls up players um, that are... Sure. That are went to, I think Joe Hart's talked about it and, and, and other players have talked about it when Ange calls them and Adam Moy was talking about it as well. Um, just show them that first half of the Celtic 3 Rangers nil in, in February last year. Just show them that. Yeah. And I think many players would have their, their mind made up um, because that's that's the pulling power and that's that's what Celtic need to, to get players to decide not to go to the top end English Championship or lower end English Premier League or a mid table Bundesliga club, which the likes of Kyogo and that could have done, and yeah. and so I think that's really important. And it's it's the difference of whether player stays. It's the and it makes a huge difference on their whole experience of being at Celtic. Yeah, big time. And one player that's definitely as you're talking there, I'm just the person that embodies that right now for me is Alistair Johnson, man of the match mm-hmm. at the weekend, but. He, he feels like he was made in a lab to be a Celtic player, doesn't he? Like, he's he doesn't take any crap. He's there to everything, doesn't make any mistakes. And, you know, I, I don't know if it's the whole Canadian thing and we know a little bit about his background, but when I see him on a pitch, I just see an ice hockey player going around there, you know, he's just smashing into people. Nothing's a foul. Everything's fine. Give me the ball, you know, and I'll cover the whole pitch. I'll run on my skates, you know, and he'll fly up the wing and he'll track back and he'll do a bit of everything. And he's been a real breath of fresh air into the squad, you know, and as much as like right backs have been pretty important, you know, we were just talking about Juranovic, Ralston's been pretty important under Ange. It feels like uh, Alistair Johnson really is like the, the complete package in this team. And it's not just what he does on the pitch, but again, it's like you say, it's that experience, you know, I, I was in the number seven restaurant and the man, the match comes in and does a little speech afterwards. You've probably seen the videos. They mm-hmm. went everywhere, but he's got his wee bottle of whiskey after the game and he's like <laughs> giving it large and, you know, he's just totally bought in and, it makes such a big difference, doesn't it? He did. He did the exact same. I was at. I was at the cup final in corporate with the Prong Sandwich Brigade, <laughs> but um, he he did that after the cup final as well. He came out with the, he, he was he came out with the trophy into the Kerrydale suite, brought it onto the stage, and and gave a little speech about how he's just overwhelmed at how passionate. Uh, the fans were and everything like that and he was saying this is not the first trophy there'll be more and things like it it just he didn't need to do that but he was the one that decided he would he would come up to the Kerrydale suite and and uh, show off the trophy and uh, give us a little chat about how it was for him so I think he's very much loving you could tell us even at the World Cup he actually answered about being linked with Celtic, he couldn't take the smile off his face when he was talking about speaking to Anyama and and uh, being linked with Celtic. He knew that it was quite a, a, at an advanced stage by that point. Um, yeah. So he was, but it was still wasn't over the line. But he couldn't hide his excitement in joining Celtic, and that's exactly what I mean about a player wanting to come into the sort of and embrace the whole experience of a club like Celtic. And like you say, he's he perfectly embodies that of a new signing and he's completely bought into it. And you'd hope he's that he can stay around for for a few years at least. 
big time. And already he's only been here five minutes, but he's already beat Rangers twice and had a draw with them <laughs> on his debut, you know. So, you know, talk about uh, taking to it like Dr. Water, eh? Yeah, he's... I don't think... Uh, Juranovic, how well he... Juranovic was a great player. There's no doubt about that. And he had a, an amazing World Cup, was even in the World Cup team of the tournament um, as the best right-back player. It's just shows... Uh, there's so much credit has to go into Celtic's planning and recruitment on this because they're getting it spot on almost every time at the moment. Um, that to have a ready-made replacement in before you've even got rid of the World Cup's best right back in your squad, it just shows everything about the way Ange's overseeing this whole operation at the moment. Um, Big time. And and Celtic are completely benefiting uh, from that. I think it's went on to show in the, in the kind of fullness of time that we've had, Anthony, like how ruthless Celtic were. Because I heard quotes from Juranovic saying Celtic made no attempts to keep him. Obviously, it was on a long contract, but it's, he he found out. He's like, I found out they signed Alistair Johnson. And I'm like, hold on a minute, you know, like he, you know. So I think Celtic are have been so ruthless in the sense that they've identified AJ, and obviously there's the obvious transfer. Um, position of maximum opportunity with Juranovic's age, the World Cup exposure, etc. But it's been that absolutely ruthless clinical. We've actually ID'd somebody who we believe could be just as good, hopefully better. And this guy's prime and ready to go on the market. Let's not mess about. Let's not get sentimental about it. You're going. We've signed this guy already and let's just do it and make it happen. Because so often before, if you think about yeah, the seasons you referenced earlier, we're talking about Edward and the stadium closures and whatever. Some of those guys were like oh, <laughs> They were told to stay on, were asked to stay on, were begged to stay on for, for one more season and all the rest of it. And whereas with this, it's like Celtic are just making clinical decisions. This is the best thing for us. It's time for you to go and it's time for you to come in kind of thing. And I think that's probably all down to Ange more than anything, you know, as being that this is the way to go and this is the way to move forward. Yeah, it's ruthless, but it seems to be working. And uh, as soon as Juranovic hints it, perhaps not signing improved terms and and wanting uh, to go to one of the top five leagues. And then Andrews, obviously, it seems like he's gone, well, okay, you find a club, we'll get a replacement. Same with Giacomakis. Giacomakis yeah. hinting that he, he wanted to be a starter, um, wasn't getting as much game time, perhaps wanting to move if he wasn't going to get that game time. So Andrews said, okay, you find a club. We'll get a replacement, and they got they brought oh and Johnston in before Juranovic and Jakimakis had even gone. So it's just a complete. It, we're just not used to it as Celtic fans. We're not used to it. Uh, that kind of preemptive thinking or that planning before something is before a player is even gone. You've got the replacement in. That is just. Um, it's working so well at the moment, and it's re so refreshing to see. And even even though it's, we've had we've had what about eighteen months, nearly a couple of years of it now, it's still surprising to see um, the Celtic work so hard uh, on their recruitment and and having ready ready made replacements. But even ready made replacements for missing out on targets. Celtic were meant to sign Riley McGree, yeah. who went to Middlesbrough. He decides last minute change 
he had verbally agreed to to join Celtic, but then he decided, oh, I think we might get get into the Premier League with Middlesbrough. So he's gone to Middlesbrough. Celtic next day go to the next target and get Matt O'Reilly, who's turned out to be a, a, an amazing signing at one point two million. And that that kind of it's, it's been a real shift of how Celtic have operated over the last ten years to what they are what they're doing just now and it's it's very refreshing to see. Yeah, it's like we've finally caught up to the modern way of transfer business and football business in that sense because yeah. I'm still like score I'm still scarred to like my core of that window where we signed like Skepovic on the last minute mm-hmm. of the window and all this kind of haphazard what agents phone in the club that's got a player available to move to Glasgow on a plane tonight, you know, kind of stuff. It's all gone and it's yeah, as you say, it's proper planning professional clinical and uh, it kind of does bring us on to probably the last point of the team really because f- uh, they, they scored a great free kick at the weekend and i'm not going to take that away from them because if a player in green and white scores that free kick we're watching replays for a while right good free kick and all the rest of it i would like my goalkeeper to save that personally but joe hart's been a huge part of the team on the pitch off the pitch you know and everything in between i guess but is that maybe one of the last pieces of the pitch that Ange is yet to select his guy for? Is maybe Seagrass his guy? Does Joe Hart get in our season? Does do, do we get an our goalkeeper in this summer? What do you think about any of that, Anthony? Yeah, and what happens with Scott Bain and, and Connor Hazard, who signed on a long-term Connor contract Hazard, yeah. as well? Um, well, yeah, it's certainly something Celtic need to look at, and I absolutely. We've just been talking about how. They've been planning ahead so much. I, there's no doubt that if we can see that's it, that that's something that is perhaps going to be an issue in a year or two, then they can, certainly under Andrew's leadership. So I'm not sure. I think I think Joe Hart will still be number one next season. I think um, they're perhaps not looking to bring someone in the, in the summer. This is just my own opinion. It's not on, based on any, like... Um, info i think what they'll be doing is identifying targets who will probably try to battle it out for the number one spot maybe in the next couple of years maybe um not next season but the season after so whether that means bringing someone in and putting them out on loan or just waiting to see who are the who are the up-and-coming keepers who are who would battle battle out in a couple of years um to be celtic's number one and I mean, if there's anything we've learned, I've learned from working on transfer desks um, at Sky Sports News is that clubs do get desperate, so it is something they need to uh, they need to address, and I think it'll be quite high up on their priority list for uh, it's certainly t- in terms of identifying targets. We don't know if Segrist is is good enough to be number one. He's not had enough chances. He could be, he could be Joe Hart's replacement. I'd be very surprised if Scott Bain becomes that or I can just see him moving moving away so perhaps Celtic do need to bring a goalkeeper in in the summer if Scott Bain um, leaves and then you've also got Connor Hazard who's was on loan at Helsinki was it yep um so who, who's on a long-term contract um had has had a very interesting Celtic career already being the hero goalkeeper of the quadruple <laughs> treble um and and then uh, yeah, goalkeepers are in their prime later in their twenties and, and early into their thirties. So 
it's 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 always a hard position to work out whether someone's going to be a good number one, especially if the, it's very rare you go, you go and get like a twenty one year old goalkeeper who's going to be your number one for the next like five six years. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who the who those targets will be and when Celtic decide to bring bring them in, or if they see Segrist as the ready made replacement for for Joe Hart whenever he decides to hang up his boots or leave Celtic and they bring in a young goalkeeper, send them out on loan to build up to being Celtic's number one in the next like three or four, five years. Yeah. That kind of planning for me also, we talked about how well it's going under Ange and Ange's leadership. I still, and Celtic are doing things in a modern way, but they still don't have that modern structure. I think Celtic need a sporting director because Celtic need to think about life after Ange. And I know we never we don't want to think about life after Ange, but Ange is almost all-encompassing in an old school type of managerial structure where yep. he is very much in charge of everything. And he's definitely not an old school manager, but he's Celtic as a club, if they want to model themselves and be a consistent team challenging and competing in Europe like perhaps clubs in in this not in the top five leagues like Benfica and Ajax they've got to work to that kind of model and sell direct to the to the elite and they need a sporting director who's not just thinking about who's your next manager they're thinking about who's your who's the manager after that who are your signing targets after you've got your next striker in that they've got to be thinking for the next like 10 years, seven to 10 years, I would say, a sporting director needs to be doing. And that's what a modern structure, the most uh, well-organized European clubs have that structure in place and just under different names, whether it's chief football officer or sporting director or director of football, they do because you need someone above the manager who's planning for after that manager. And as much as Celtic are very much enjoying, Celtic fans are enjoying this period, that is, I think, a, a, quite a serious point that Celtic need to look at, and hopefully they are, as to what happens after Ange, because he is very much in charge of not just picking the first 11, he's in charge of everything in the football department at yeah. the moment. And it's going to be interesting to see what direction they're going, because Don McKay wanted to go in that direction. Don McKay was wanting to bring, he talked about that. He talked about being a more modern European club and bringing in that kind of structure. He was wanting to bring in a director, a football sporting director. We know that they were looking at Fergal Harkin, who's now sporting director at um, Ronnie Dyla's club, Standard Liège. Um, that was through the the Manchester City connection because he was at Manchester, he was Manchester City's uh, Pathways manager at the time. So whether they use someone I know uh, Mark Lawls in as well so they, they've got people within the structure that could take on more responsibility when Ange, when Ange goes but I, I do feel they need a sporting director Yeah, I would agree with you that was one thing that really uh, that drove home to me when Rogers left for Leicester I forget the number, I'm sure somebody in the comments will be able to catch it, maybe you know it Anthony but when Rogers left he took like 12 members of staff with him or something mm. and then when we hired Lennon to come in and replace him it was like Lennon Kennedy and little striking, if you know what I mean. And it was yeah. like he's taking a Premier League football department 
down to Leicester out of Celtic and we were quite vulnerable to that. So you would hope the club have learned their lesson and in the event, you know, Ange Postacoglu is not eternal, you know, so like in the in the eventuality of when he's not at the club anymore, you don't want to be uh, exposed to that undoing, you know, the wheels falling off the cart at that point, as it were. Um, so, yeah. that, that's actually, it's a great point about staff. And that, that, so a sporting director wouldn't just be looking at recruiting players and, and, and coaches and managers, they'd be looking at Who's who's our sports science uh, man or woman going to be? Who's who's the well-being manager going to be? That kind of thing. All the yep. different aspects of a football club now. That um, yeah, it's a, they need all all the top European clubs have these structures in place, and I I just feel that well, well, this is Celtic have a, have something that's working at the moment. The longevity of it is. Is, is not going to be there because at, at some point and will leave <laughs> so, and uh, whether that's in four years time or whether that's in two years time um but the, that planning needs to be in place of um how they what direction they want to go in as a modern european club especially as talk is changing of structures to the champions league champions league structure is going to change european yeah. football might be a completely different place in the next 10 years in terms of domestic leagues as well so uh celtic need to keep up not only keep up but be in line with the curve yeah i definitely agree um, and there's probably a few tangents i would love to to slide down on that <laughs> note like um as well um just one thing i would throw into that in terms of any modernization and whatever i don't know where it's at now because it was announced pre uh pre-pandemic and whatever but there was like I'm pretty sure it was like 95% agreed that the Dutch and the Belgian league were going to uh, amalgamate into mm. what was going to be called that BNE league or something. I don't know where that's at now or whatever, but there's definitely a lot of plans afoot. And Celtic definitely like want to be at the cutting edge of, you know, so I think we've kind of, we, we have kind of suffered over the last 20 years for not transitioning into the modern world. And however that's kind of happened or not happened, financial, personnel, motivation, it could be a number of things, you know, but um, we definitely don't want to miss any boats that are coming up because I, I do make you right, Anthony. Like, there's the, the world of football over the last 20 years has went through like an industrial revolution in terms of like how mm. the game's followed, how it's played, how it's you know, all the stuff you're talking about staff, well being, pathways, and <laughs> you know, yeah. all this stuff. It's it's a totally different world in that sense, and it feels like it's a bit of Ange Postacoglu's world at the moment. The quote you gave us earlier, we'll come back bigger, better, uh, we, because we never stop last season. Our record was 93 points after 38 games. So far, this season, after 31 games played, Anthony, we've got 88 points in locked in already. Uh, the team are on track. They could beat uh, Brendan Rodgers' total. The Invincible team got of 106 points if we were to do the job. Um, it's, uh, you know, obviously we're not invincible. We've picked up a loss in a, uh, this season. Goal difference is just running away crazy. But it's, like you said, uh, it was hard to believe how can this team come back bigger and stronger and like already we're we're scushing the 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 record that the manager had in his first season. So mm-hmm. it is it is all going in, in a great direction. And that's when the club should be building, is in that position of strength, you know, when it is going from better season to better season. And yeah, I think um as long as it's, the club kind of keeps that kind of forward thinking on, should be good. Yeah. And, and going back to that, uh, Andrew's record, this we were told this was going to happen. All the experts in Australia, all the experts in Asia, all the experts in Japan, they were telling us that this guy is different. He is a top, top manager, and it's relentless in terms of his hard work, 
and what he demands of a team. And I remember, uh, I remember tweeting after Celtic lost four 0 to Bayer Leverkusen, just saying that perhaps Ange needs to be a bit more streetwise uh, in Europe um, because the relentless football. We're starting to see signs of this good attacking football at that point, and and then suddenly they take a baton off Leverkusen at home. And I remember I got quite a few replies from journalists in Japan and Australia just saying, he won't. He will do. He will just make what they do, what they do now better. That's all he's going to do. And that's what he's doing. I mean, we were told this, and I know the Scottish media and British media perhaps were, when he came in, were naive and or perhaps even ignorant on, on what this what he was going to do but that's uh, and his knowledge of the Scottish game he doesn't need to know too much Scottish football, but he does know plenty he did know about Scottish football and it's mental to think that you need to have been brought up in Scottish football to do well in Scottish football look at the top players that have played the game in Scottish football like Larson and that he wasn't brought up in Scottish football um, and the top managers as well so it's 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 incredible that, that that was the narrative here, but in Asia and Australasia, they kept telling us they were telling this guy is going to be incredible, and it's it's just going to be fascinating to see how he do, does in in Europe, and he's doing that. He he had an incredible he worked wonders last season in terms of the overhaul of the squad and turning that into a a winning machine, but also not just a winning machine, but a team that was playing amazing football to, to win the title back. And then to go on this season and to be on course to perhaps win a treble. He's got two in the bag. Well, hasn't got the league in the bag yet, but he's going to win the league. Um, and to perhaps even break records that were broken in what we thought was unprecedented success of of the Celtic period under Rodgers um, with invincibility, to perhaps be better than the Invincibles without being an Invincible is takes some doing. And it's it, it just will always, I'll never forget the amount of, just the passion that the Australian journalists and the Asian journalists were saying that this this guy is something else and he's really he's really special and he's going we were warned we were told and he's delivering it's it's, yeah. it's really good to see a lot of those shouts we are season two is where it happens but I'm now starting at, you know we got excited earlier on in the podcast Anthony but I'm now thinking season two was all right but I think season three is going to be <laughs> really where the party's at yeah because like we're only really in that ascendancy point where we're really chuffed with the team. Oh, don't get me wrong, we've been chuffed with the team all season, don't get me wrong. But that real season two cutting edge that we're seeing, we've only really, really had that maybe for about a month or two since the World Cup, maybe at that push. Um, and Ange obviously wants the team to peak second half of the season. We know all this stuff already, of course, but that just gets me excited for another season. Hitate should be better next season. Jota should be better. Carter Vickers, Kyogo, uh, Alistair Johnson will be starting the season Alistair Johnson will be playing in Europe, you know. Um, so I, I think season three is definitely, um, you know, something that we didn't really pay much thought to when we we're here and all this stuff. It was season two. Right, okay, well, let's judge the guy. Let's see how much we kick on. And when you look at the numbers now, like I say, like last season after 38 games, we scored 92 goals. Already after 31 games played, we've scored 98. So the goals we're putting away is just... And we've only had one really big result, the Dundee United one, the 9-0. Every other game, you know, I don't think we've broken four goals really. Yeah. So 
it's just every team we're just two three four two three four every game mm-hmm. yeah it is and what you're saying about because Ange talked about it when uh he said this after last season said that was just phase one this next is phase two and i remember thinking that well that's that's quite exciting to hear that what he's done in phase one was quite remarkable what's phase two going to be like and it has been good um and i think yeah phase three has got to be quite european centric and what they what impact they can have in the champions league and if they drop down into europa um from a champions league group what can they do in the europa league so that i think a lot of his time and attention will be because he knows as well about how he's judged how he's being judged in yep. the outside world yes because because the outside world does think and i know it even just living down here and even amongst my, my my colleagues who don't follow scottish football that much apart from celtic and rangers and they think oh well you can win it's, it's easy winning with celtic isn't it it's it, it's it is it's a formality it's, well, that's what that's what said. i'm not saying it is it's no no they're saying it is and they don't realize that the the pressures the the work you have to do to to con- continuously be at the top because so many managers have failed so many players have, have flopped it itself yeah. because they can't handle it and and at rangers as well it's uh the the very much in the outside world he's going to be judged more so on what he can do in europe and it is going to come down to results i think there's promise being shown um with the performances because he is but he's he's already been looked at he's already on the list of of on the short lists of clubs like spurs uh, for their next manager um and it and and then obviously clubs like brighton um had looked at um southampton and leeds i'm sure um will would be looking at him as well but i think and, and let sorry leicester uh, as well but um Ooh. i think <laughs> what would really make him go from like uh being on the short list of a leicester or spurs to perhaps even higher i think i really think spurs might be one if if spurs came in that you he would think about that um but perhaps I don't He's probably know. one of the only guys in world football that would actually be happy with the Tottenham transfer budget. You know, yeah, go to Japan and buy the whole buy the whole division I if just, he wanted. You know, he's a, he's, a, he's a project manager though, isn't he? So he, I think he would think that he there's a lot of potential that Spurs as a club outside of the football are 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 growing, um, but the football department is very much a shambles at the moment. I don't know. I just feel like Spurs as a club might have a bit of pulling power. Um, I don't think he would go in the summer to a Leicester or Leeds or Southampton. I've now mm-hmm. said this on camera, so I'm, I just really hope it's not going to happen. Now. Um, but uh, I think it'll be interesting to see if he wins the treble. He'll very much, I think Andrew's thinking that it would be have another crack. I need to have a crack at the Champions League. I need to do something with Celtic in the Champions League or in Europe in general. And that will be enough to drive him on to, to being the manager next season if clubs actually came in with offers, um, which is a completely... There's a lot of ifs and buts there. I very much think Ange will be Celtic manager next season and Great. it could be very exciting. But then there's also... football. The reality of football is that Ange might be there, but Jota might... Someone might come in for Jota. Someone might come in for Carter Vickers, Starfelt, um, Itate. 
it's as as much as we can look forward to phase three now because things are going so well. I'm not trying to put a dampener on things. I'm just saying the reality of football and I've worked in football and you you have as well. You understand the reality of football and things can change very quickly. You lose this couple of your players that have the spine of your team. Others might leave. You can't bring in the the replacement you wanted to, to bring in or it could have happened late in the transfer window. And so you, you start getting desperate. That's the amount of times that happens in football it's it's more of it's it's very common so yeah there's a lot of things have to remain for celtic to go and kick on and 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 make phase three if it what we all what all celtic fans would hope it is but with Ange there and with the way that celtic are operating right now there's a lot of faith that even if you do lose a player they'll bring someone else in who could just hit the ground running so I, th- I think there's a lot more trust that Celtic fans have I don't know if, if you, you think this as well I think I think everyone's quite relaxed about it and I think that's probably why everyone is optimistic in and looking ahead to, to next season about what they could what could they could achieve in Europe because there's a lot of trust in what Celtic are doing right now and how they're operating yeah I don't think we've had this much trust in like yeah the, the that kind of ability to move from one player to another, like if we did sell like somebody for big money, like we've done in the last couple of windows, that yeah, whoever he gets, like cool, never heard of him, not a problem. <laughs> as long as he picked him, that's fine by me, you know. So uh, and I'm with you all the way, and that that probably takes us on to the last part of the podcast, Anthony, because like the only thing that's kind of left for us to touch on is uh, the preview for the for the weekend. We've got Kamarnock. I don't think we're going to, I don't think we're going to see many changes. And just kind of quoted already as saying like, if you weren't at the game. Last weekend against Rangers, like Hitate, for example, you're probably not going to play the Kamarnock game. So mm. I don't think he's going to see it as, he definitely doesn't see his job done uh, for the league like we do, perhaps. Um, so it should be copy and paste a similar team in full strength against Kelly, I would imagine. Yeah, I think so. I think Celtic will just kick on now and just get it over the line. I don't think there'll be too much stumbling. The domestic form has just been amazing. One one bad game that's all it's been one one uh poor performance and result against St Mirren and otherwise everything's been pretty much plain sailing in, in the league and I don't expect that to change for Celtic I expect Ange doesn't seem to ro- like to rotate too much um so yeah I think it'll be a similar similar team until there needs to be a change for an injury or a player off form uh, uh it's I think in terms of for what fans fans' focus is on now is perhaps getting over the line and also this semi-final that's coming up in the, at the end of the month. They need to be in a good place, a good place for that. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Celtic will take care of Kelly on Sunday. Yeah, and Kelly away is actually one of the other games this season where we've got scored more than four. You know, the mm-hmm. first time we went to Rugby Park, we won 5-0. For anyone that doesn't recall the game, that's one where Jens gets uh, gets the, the beautiful goal, then gets injured, and then Starfield returns from injury to score. Um, and yeah, it was quite an action-packed game. The last time we played Kelly was at Celtic Park. We also won 2-0 on that day. Must be said, the front three in both fixtures has been the same. There was the front three that played at the weekend, Jota, Kyogo, Maeda. Um and yeah, uh, that's two clean sheets on the bounce against Kelly. I probably just jinxed that, so sorry, everyone. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think it will be. I, I think it will be very much like you say. It's just going to be 
Uh, that front three will probably go again. Jota, Maeda, Kyogo. I think O'Reilly probably keeps his place in midfield with McGregor. I would probably expect to see Iwata come in over Moy. Just with, I, I just really feel that, that game was not Moy's. And Iwata now, Iwata is also one of Ange's guys as well. Like mm-hmm. he knows and is brought in deliberately, specifically that individually individual player. Maybe a wee moment for Iwata, but the back four probably doesn't change either. Um, but I think that's it's definitely a, a good team to, to take down at Rugby Park to dominate possession and try and break through the lines. Yeah, Iwata, I really like watching Iwata play. And I know I haven't seen too much of him, but when he when we have, he he does seem to be like, almost similar to how McGregor would play that deeper role as well. He just takes play. He can win the ball back. He's he's got a bit about him to win tackles, and he can pick out a lovely pass. and And his vision's great as well. And that, that's what we're seeing of him so far. And I, I I do enjoy seeing him on the with Moy. I think we know what we can do. And I, I mean, I do I think Moy's been a, a good player for us, but I do enjoy seeing Iwata in that starting lineup just because I want to see more of him and I want to see um, what his potential is, I guess, and where where he would perhaps fit in the future as a mainstay in the Celtic midfield. Yeah, we're all kind of interested in that. We do imagine Iwata becoming a mainstay in this. Mm-hmm. Like when we signed him, it was like, oh, this is Ange season two. He's got his guy now from Japan, maybe. Obviously, we're yet to see him. But yeah, I think we're all quite eagerly awaiting like, how does the master plan work when Iwata gets plugged in properly with yeah. Rio, with McGregor, with O'Reilly? How's that all going to work, you know, more even in that equation as well? So, yeah, I, I hope he gets to start and he'll hopefully give us some answers on that as well, eh? So, same with um, Kobayashi as well yes. in defence. Is the long term that Kobayashi is going to partner Carter Vickers? Because I, think I, so. I, do think, I, I do think he's ready. I think from what we've seen of him, he's, he is ready to... Uh, be part of the first team um, and actually start start games. He's, I think, uh, I've been quite impressed with him. Certainly, uh, the games that he has played. So, I do wonder whether um, the long term is that perhaps he is Starfield's replacement. But I mean, Starfield's a, a great player. I don't. I think he's often underrated. Um, and I, I know he didn't have a great game on Sunday, but I think uh, he's a he's a quality player. And I do know that. Uh, um, a lot of Premier League clubs are, are looking at him as well because they rate him. So good. Um, I'd like to yeah. see Starfelt sold because he's uh, not Carter Vickers. So uh, yeah, <laughs> if we're yeah. going to lose one, if we're going to lose one of them. Starfelt's yeah. Batman. We'll lose him. And Kobe <laughs> Ashley's a left-sided centre back. So there yeah. we go. There's the replacement in before six months before perhaps um, a player going leaving. Not that I'm like suggesting Starfelt is leaving. I'm just saying there's clubs interested. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Oh, the last two times we've played, Kelly, it's been 2-0 and 5 now. If I was going to go a score, score prediction, I'm probably going to go with the four. Uh, just to call it bang in the middle. I'll go Celtic four, Kamarnock nil. Would I get a score prediction out of you, Anthony? Yeah, I'll probably go with that as well. I like. I think, actually, even when a, a Sunday comes around and it's a Celtic away game, I often put on my on my bet 4-0 Celtic. or uh, like I think I think 4-0. I think they'll be in flamboyant moods and, and just pull have them drowned and say, look, you won the derby. You're gonna to have to put in a performance here, and I think that's for nothing. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. totally. I will. I hope everyone attending the game has fun, travel safe. Um, everyone watching the game, obviously, good luck. Wish the hoops well, Anthony. It's been an absolute pleasure having you on the podcast, mate. Thanks very much for taking time out of your schedule to come and join us. It means a lot. No, thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Excellent. Hail, hail, everyone. Catch you next one. <laughs>